Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I'll be going through the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some great music along the way. This week, I have a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, I am a little under the weather, so if my voice suffers at times, I apologize for that. But I think it should be good enough to get through all I want to talk about today, because I have a whole ton on my plate that I want to talk about. The Copa America has completed match day one, as well as group A has played match day number two. The Women's World Cup is almost done the group stages. There are three groups left that still have matches to play. That being today with group D, and then tomorrow with group E and group F. And the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup. But, obviously... I think it's pretty easy to tell what my opening segment's going to be about today, and that is, well, you know, there was a there was a certain team in Canada plays basketball. They uh, they played some pretty big games, some pretty big games. And for those of you who don't have any idea what I'm talking about, it has 100 complete percent to do with the fact that the Raptors won the NBA championship. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. It still feels kind of weird to say, but nonetheless, I am just, I don't know, it's such a, even though I'm not a Raptors fan, it is just really cool what they were able to accomplish. Not going to lie. I think what they did was purely exceptional. I mean, Toronto... Toronto hasn't won in a little while, like, well, unless you include Toronto FC, but as far as, like, their bigger teams, I know TFC have a pretty good support, but they're not as big as what the Leafs or the Raptors are, and they're not quite at, like, the level the Blue Jays are either, but even still, if you don't include, you know, some of the smaller teams, like, I think Toronto's lacrosse team has also won somewhat recently too, but the Raptors have their first ever NBA title, and that is pretty cool. Before I get into my main point with the Raptors, I do want to talk quickly about Golden State. I feel bad for them. I really feel bad for Golden State. I mean, it's just, I mean, like, for the Warriors, Klay Thompson in Game 6, which was the last game of the series that Toronto ended up winning, he tore his ACL. And that, coupled with Kevin Durant's Achilles injury, basically takes the Warriors out of any contention next season. I'm not willing to say their dynasty is over yet, because certainly when their guys are healthy again, I I wouldn't put it past them to maybe win another championship. But at least for next year, I think the dynasty is certainly at least put on hold with the possibility of being completely, of completely ending. So, I mean, for Warriors fans, should they be upset? Not really. I mean, this team, in five seasons, they ended up winning three championships, five straight NBA Finals appearances, 73-win season, and they've played some of the best basketball that I think has you know, been seen in this generation. Maybe some of the best basketball ever, you could argue, especially when they went and, like, swept the entire postseason, which I think was still, in itself, pretty crazy. But, nonetheless, on to the Raptors. I felt bad for Golden State, but you know what? Toronto went out and earned it. Because despite the injuries, so many teams have played Golden State when they were hurt. But they failed to take advantage. Like, I, there's been so many teams that have played an injured Golden State team and haven't won. Why? Because they couldn't take advantage of the situation. And they still lost to a really good team. Toronto did not. Toronto beat them. And so they rightfully earned their first ever NBA championship. And for the... The realization that Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and all these other guys are going to... And even Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin's going to have a championship ring. That is 
quite something to think about. I know Lynn barely played for them, but even still, still pretty crazy. And it's just, it's an unbelievable sporting moment. And with the exception of the parade that ended on such a horrible note, and my condolences go out to all the victims of that of that tragedy, because that that kind of stuff is just... It's it's hard to, to think about how all this happiness and all this celebration, and then there was the shooting at the championship parade towards the end, which obviously puts a damper on anything sporting-related because you feel for the victims because that goes way beyond anything sporting related. But at least for in the moment, the parade was good up until that point. And you know what? Like to see that many people celebrating after they won game six in the streets of Toronto was pretty cool. Even though I'm not a Raptors fan, I can appreciate what that feels like to win a championship for the first time ever because my Philadelphia Eagles did the same thing. So it's, it's truly something that I think people should cherish and remember fondly, especially Raptors fans, especially for the ones that have been there forever, because the diehards, like, this is more for them. For the bandwagon fans, I mean, I don't know, I guess enjoy it, because the Raptors probably, you know, I don't think they mind having bandwagon fans, but for the diehards, this was really for them. It really was. And... I don't know, when I look back on Toronto's championship run, I think back to all the moments, all the moments of genius that they produced. And I know I'm quoting my own show title, but that's okay, because it works here. So, like, how should Toronto's championship this year be remembered? It should be remembered in moments, because there's so many great ones during this postseason. There really was. I mean, you can go to game six and look at all the big plays like how about Fred Van Vliet hitting those big time three-pointers or maybe you want to go to game four when Kawhi Leonard just completely took over in the second half or maybe you want to look at game three Danny Green hit six threes in game three of the finals or how about you go to game one Pascal Siakam didn't like it felt like he didn't miss a single shot that entire game (laughs) that's pretty much what it felt like to 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 me watching the game anyway so there was that and then I mean how about conference finals game six Kawhi dunking on Giannis that was a pretty cool moment not gonna lie or even game one of the conference finals how about Kyle Lowry hitting a career high seven threes that was a really cool moment or how about the perseverance in Game 3 in double overtime? That Toronto, sh- they showed the perseverance in the heart of a champion to win that game and keep the series alive. Or maybe you want to look back at the shot. When Kawhi put it up and it hit the rim four times and dropped in against Philadelphia in Game 7. Or maybe you want to look at his signature Game 4 performance. My point kind of is that there are so many great defining moments in this championship for Toronto, and they should all be remembered very fondly, regardless of whether Kawhi leaves or Kawhi stays or whatever happens this offseason. The Raptors have this, and I'm, so, I'm really happy because Canadian basketball needed something like this. Every other sport in Canadian history has some kind of really big, awesome moment. Canadian basketball was lacking that until this season. Because you think about the other sports. Obviously, in hockey, you know, you think about the gold medals. You think about the golden goal. All of that stuff. You think about in track and field. How about Donovan Bailey winning <laughs> winning gold medals? Or Andre de Grasse. How about swimming? Penny Alexiak over the last Olympics when she won gold. Right? Or maybe you want to go to... <laughs> A different sport. Maybe you want to go to soccer. Well, I I know the Canadian men's team is terrible, but the Canadian women's team has won back-to-back bronze medals at the Olympics. And, like I said, Toronto FC won the treble in 2017. So, there are moments in Canadian soccer. There are moments in Canadian track. There are moments in Canadian swimming. There are moments in Canadian hockey. 
Kenny basketball. The best moment might have been a dunk contest before this season. That's how sad it was. A dunk contest from Vince Carter. But now they have this Raptors team with this NBA championship. And basketball finally has a signature moment in Canada. Because Toronto not only became kings of the north, but they became the kings of basketball. That's pretty much all I got to say. The next song, my first song in my music break today, is pretty indicative of the situation that I think the Raptors found themselves in in game number six, and the same one that the St. Louis Blues found themselves in after their game seven win that I'll talk about in my next segment. You're listening to CMRU.ca by students for you. I paid my dues time after time. I've done my sentence but committed no crime and bad mistakes. I've made a few. It's Tuesday, and it's 9 o'clock, and you know what time it is. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody Millage. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a way better weekend than I did. I was stuck. New music, new talent, new name. CMRU.ca. My students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students, for you. I'm back with my second segment of the day, and that is the other championship-winning team that wasn't the Toronto Raptors, and that was the St. Louis Blues in the Stanley Cup Final. They won Game 7, 4-1 over the Boston Bruins to win their first-ever Stanley Cup championship. So, a couple of new champions, which is always kind of... Excuse me. It's always kind of cool to see teams that have never won before win because it feels extra special to them. Like, New England... No no offense to Patriots fans, but New England winning their sixth Super Bowl in the past 20 years, it's kind of like, 
okay, yeah, I get it. They're special because they're historic, but it's not as meaningful to the fans because it's like, yeah, but they won like two years ago. For St. Louis fans, this is huge. For Raptors fans, this was huge, right? Like, it's just, it's a different mindset where, you know, your team, you aren't ex- expected to have success and you finally get a taste of it. And that's kind of the cool thing. But like I said, St. Louis won game seven by four goals to one in this game. Ryan O'Reilly was just, he, he came to play. He came to play. He wanted that Stanley Cup championship. He had a goal and an assist. He became the first player in Stanley Cup Finals history to score in the last four consecutive games, which was really cool. Alex Petrangelo had a goal and assist in this game as well. I thought he was also tremendous in this one for St. Louis. And, of course, I cannot go any farther with talking about the Blues without mentioning Jordan Binnington, who actually... I'm a little upset he didn't win the Conn Smythe for MVP. I thought Bennington was the most valuable player on St. Louis throughout this playoff run. He stopped 32 out of 33 shots in Game 7. And his ability to bounce back after losses was just next level. It really was. And the fact that Bennington wasn't even the starting goalie to start this season, like... It really is one of the cooler stories in sports, Jordan Bennington. And I'm a little upset. No no disrespect to Ryan O'Reilly, who did win the Conn Smythe, because I think Ryan O'Reilly certainly, you know, there is an argument to be made that he was the Blues' best player during this playoff run. And again, he showed up big time in game number seven. But I just think Bennington was, he was really the reason why St. Louis ended up hoisting the Stanley Cup for the first time. That's just my opinion. Of course, I have no problem with O'Reilly winning it. I just would have preferred Bennington. But for St. Louis fans, I don't think they care. A championship is a championship for the St. Louis Blues. And they fully earned it. They It, was not, it wasn't easy for St. Louis. They were last place in the NHL in January. They made the playoffs and then went six with the Jets. They went seven with the Stars in double overtime in that game seven before Patrick Maroon ended up being the hero. And then they had to go another six with the Sharks, and they went seven in the cup final against the Bruins. It wasn't easy, but you can't say they didn't earn it, because they really did. For Boston, it was so close, but yet just so far. And amazingly, it's a little, I don't know, A little ironic because this Game 7, what it felt like to me was what Boston did to Vancouver in 2011. It felt very similar as far as how the Game 7 went and how dominant one team was over the other. So just a little bit of an unfortunate parallel for Bruins fans. But in the end, they just... Tuka Rask was brilliant in this entire Stanley Cup Final Series. And in fact, I think... I know a lot of people on social media actually wanted Rask to win the Consmite despite being on the losing team, which has only happened a very few number of times in history. But Rask, despite maybe not having his best game ever in Game 7, was certainly the Bruins' best player, I think, throughout the playoff run. And it says a lot that in Game 7, with all the marbles on the line, the Bruins' best players, Patrice Bergeron... Brad Marchand and David Pasternak, who, again, I'm not saying... Like, they've been great the whole playoffs. But in the biggest game of the year, in Game 7, those three are the best players on the team offensively. And they had nothing. Nothing. St. Louis's best players, Ryan O'Reilly, he showed up. And Tarasenko, he had an assist in the game. Like, Braden Shen had a goal. So... Blue's best players showed up. Boston's didn't in this Game 7. And it's it's cruel because of the fine margins in sports, but that's just the reality of what it is. It's fine margins. And for St. Louis, they were on the, the good end of that this time. And Blue's fans, they have a championship. A Stanley Cup is now in the possession of the St. Louis Blues, which is really cool. Just like it was cool to see Washington win last year. Although, being perfectly honest, I would have rather seen Vegas. But 
that's a that's a different discussion. I was I was happier for Ovechkin. It's just Vegas were the kind of the cooler story. But nonetheless, congratulations to St. Louis. Congratulations to Toronto, and to any of the other first time champions that there might be this summer. Looking at the international tournament specifically, you know, it, it's again. It's it means something to win any championship, but it feels almost more satisfying and more, I guess, just exciting when it's the first one, because the first one is the hardest to win, and then after that, they obviously all mean something, but I think the first one is always just that little bit extra more special. Anyway. That's all I got. Stanley Cup Final, NBA Finals segments wrapped up. I will get into my international soccer, Women's World Cup, like I mentioned. Only three groups have games left to play. I'll recap the entirety of Group A, Group B, and Group C, and then the results so far out of Group D, Group E, and Group F. As well, I have Copa America, Match Day 1 complete, and Match Day 2 for Group A teams took place yesterday so i'll talk about all that coming up for right now my first song sorry my second song technically of the day my first song in this music break is brian adams with summer of 69 my second song is three doors down and kryptonite you're listening to mount royal university's cmru.ca by students for you
students for you welcome back to moments of genius here on cmru.ca by students for you my name is peter and i'm into the second half of my show today if you're wondering why my voice is a little in and out it's because i'm a little bit under the weather today but i should be good enough to get to say all that i want to say for my show today because i can still talk about all the different sports but anyway With the NBA season over, with the NHL season over, my show is pretty much going to be mostly, almost entirely soccer now. So the international soccer tournaments are well underway. The Women's World Cup is almost done the group stages. The Copa America has finished its first match day. And once the Africa Cup of Nations gets going, like once they get into the later rounds of that tournament, I'll start talking about that one too. Like like I mentioned in kind of my previews to all of these, the Gold Cup is kind of the only one that I really don't care about because the Gold Cup has such little prestige in comparison to all the other tournaments and has such little star power in comparison to all the other tournaments. And I know people try and care about that tournament, but without with the Confederations Cup no longer existing, there really isn't much incentive in winning the Gold Cup. Because in, in the North American region, there's Mexico, there's the United States, and Costa Rica, who are kind of the three really good sides. 
And then you have some, you know, decent sides in there, the likes of Jamaica and Panama and teams like that. And then you get the tier below that, which is that's where like Canada is with like Haiti and stuff like that. And then you get a tier even below that. And those are the teams who don't qualify for the Gold Cup. So that, that's pretty much the North American region. In the Copa America, I mean, you have like soccer powerhouses like Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Uruguay, Chile. And then even the bottom teams in South America, like if you look at Bolivia or Venezuela or Paraguay, like the teams who are a little bit lower on the table, those teams are still pretty good and would beat almost all North American sides with the exception of, again, maybe the top three that I mentioned, the United States, Mexico, and Costa Rica. With the exception of those three, the other South American teams would probably beat almost everybody else. And then like in... In Africa, I know the bottom of the African talent pool is certainly more comparable to the North American one, but the top end is really high because you got teams like Senegal, you got teams like Nigeria, you got teams like Egypt that have players that are just on a completely different level to what you see in the North American region right now. It doesn't mean that that region is, you know, doomed or that, you know, they can't get better. Of course they can get better. And, you know, they have young players with lots of potential. But as far as established bona fide superstars, that region is lacking. And then, you know, as far as the Women's World Cup, I mean, that's the, the best of the best minus one player. But that's for different reasons. Anyway, enough of that. So on to the Women's World Cup. So I, I recap match day number one. On my previous show, and so now I'm doing everything since match day number one. Starting in Group A, where Group A is finally now complete, with France finishing on top with nine points. They got three wins out of three. Norway ended up being the second place team in this group, Nigeria in third, and South Korea in fourth. My bracket had South Korea in second, so I got that one way wrong. Fully willing to admit that. But I did have France in first, which you know, feels pretty good. Uh, anyway, that I got at least the group winner right. Match day number two, France beat Norway by two goal, two goals to one. Nigeria beat South Korea two goals to nothing, which pretty much eliminated the Asian side's hopes of progressing into the round of 16. And then match day three, and I know VAR has been very controversial over the both, actually, international soccer tournaments going on right now, both the Copa America and the Women's World Cup. But it's not because VAR is bad. And this is, I think, the wrong perception people get. Is that they think that the video assistant referee is a bad thing. And that, oh, look at all this controversy. Look at all this, blah, 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 blah. That's not actually true. The controversy is not because of the video, like a video assistant referee. It's because of the laws of the game. So FIFA's rule book for the rules of soccer the way they're written, that's the problem right now, is that there's a lot of judgmental, you know, like very gray written rules that aren't, that need to be changed. They have to be fixed. And I think that's the biggest thing that with the introduction of VAR, it's kind of just magnified a problem that maybe people didn't realize existed in the sport but rules like the handball rule are really badly written the offside rule probably needs to be tweaked like there are a lot of rules in the fifa laws of the game that have to be changed because there's a lot of controversy and in the France-Nigeria case, because this is what I was getting to, in this one, it was the fact that the goalkeeper jumped slightly early off her line. And I just, I hated this call because they, I don't think it disrupts the shot. I think Wendy Renard just flat out missed her penalty. I, I didn't, I didn't see any reason why they should have taken that back. I, I know the rules technically state that if the keeper jumps off their line early before the ball's kicked, then you're supposed to retake it. But it was like fractions. Fractions and milliseconds. And it's not like, like, the Nigerian goalkeeper's toe was like really close to the line. 
And I know, you know, people are going to say, well, that's how it's written in the rules. That's how it's supposed to be called. But they like so rarely call that. And then not even the mention of the fact that like a lot of times players run in early, which is supposed to take back a penalty too. But I don't know. I don't love the inconsistencies and I don't love the the way the rules are written. I think the rules need to be changed to, to some degree. They need to be tweaked just because VAR is, <clears throat> is great for soccer, but the rules are being exposed for lacking clarity, for lacking, I guess, clarity. Yeah, lacking clarity. That's a good word. I'm going to stick with that. Anyway, France won this game, but I mean, even if France doesn't get the penalty... They, they, they tie the game, and then they win the group anyway. So I don't think that impacts France too much. It's more Nigeria. Nigeria are now in a position of maybe not getting a third-place spot. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see on that, because obviously there's still games to be played, goal difference to be decided, and I don't love the third-place th- team thing, but that's how the tournament works, so nothing I can do about that. Norway beat South Korea in the final match in the final game of Group A. So Norway are through into the last 16. France are through to the last 16 with a possible date with the Americans in the quarterfinals, which would be an epic clash of the Titans should it happen. My takeaways from Group A: France, I think, despite you know a little bit of controversy in the last game against Nigeria, I think France have proven. They are definitely a tournament favorite. They've shown so much quality in their side over the last three group games. Nigeria, I think, despite the poor start with the own goals against Norway, I think they bounced back really well and played some really good football. South Korea has to be disappointment for them because they didn't win a single game in this group. For Norway, I think it's a lot of pride in the fact that without their best player, they were still able to get out of the group and... Their opponent, they're going to play Australia. A little bit of a spoiler alert, but they're going to play Australia in the next round. I wouldn't be that surprised if they maybe could pull off an upset. On to Group B. Germany took on Spain in match day number two, winning 1-0. And that basically secured Germany first place in this group, uh, which they would end up finishing after they won 4-0 against South Africa on the final match day. China, meanwhile, beat South Africa 1-0 on match day number two and drew with Spain 0-0. That 0-0 draw felt like, to me, both teams knew that a tie was good enough for them to get in to the round of 16, and they were pretty okay with that. So China will be the third-place team in this group. Spain will be second on goal, dif- on goal scored. My apologies, not goal difference. So Spain... Their opponent's still undetermined. China, same thing. But China being a third-place team, they're going to have to play a group winner in the next round. So we'll keep an eye on that bracket and how it goes down over the next few days. My takeaways from Group B, Germany are clearly the class of this group. Spain, I, I think just... I get that their team's improved a lot, but they're still lacking... Like, I feel like Spain are still missing something in their team. And I think it's just, you know, they're missing a little bit more quality, I think. A little more talent in that side. For China, if there's a nominee for most boring team in the tournament so far, it might be China. They played three games, scored one goal, and conceded one goal. So you know that they're going to play defense, but they're not really going to score that much. So I think that will could come back to hurt them in the round of 16. For South Africa, meanwhile, I mean, they were kind of expected to be at the bottom of this group. But you know what? I think South Africa have done themselves very proud. They played with heart. They played with passion. And you know what? Sports isn't always about winning. And you know what? I think South Africa did pretty well in this tournament, considering the teams they were up against. On to Group C. Australia took on Brazil in what I think is... In my opinion, the game of the tournament so far, they won 3-2 in a comeback win over the Brazilians in a game they had to win. It was a crazy, crazy game. There was penalties. There was back-and-forth action. Like, if you like entertaining, attacking football, Australia-Brazil was the match for you because it was really fun to watch. And in the end, the Australians got the victory. 
three to two over the Brazilians, and that set up a very intriguing third match day. Italy, meanwhile, beat Jamaica five nothing on the second match day, which set them up despite the one nil loss to Brazil. On match day three, Italy won the group on goal difference. Italy certainly, at least for me, have been the surprise of the FIFA Women's World Cup. They're, they weren't a team that I really thought much of, but I was able to watch a good chunk of that Brazil-Italy game. And you know what? I never thought I'd say this about an Italian team. They play fun football. They play really good soccer. And I didn't think, like, Italy are traditionally known for, like, having more of a conservative, boring style that, you know, gets results but isn't the most fun to watch. This Italian women's team is not that tradition. It certainly is a fun team to watch. And Italy rightfully won the group. And now they have a third-place team that they're going to be able to play in the round of 16. Australia, meanwhile, ended up beating Cameroon 4-1 thanks to Sam Kerr scoring all four goals. She's now tied for the tournament lead in the Golden Boot with Alex Morgan, who had five in one game. But that's that was in the 13-0 win against Thailand. But anyway, Sam Kerr, she has been exceptional in the group stages. And you know what? Australia get Norway. There's a real possibility that they could go to the quarterfinals, and then who knows, right? So... Watch out for Australia, certainly going forward. Brazil, meanwhile, because of goal difference, ended up in third place in this group. And despite Marta breaking a record and making history, scoring the most goals ever in a World Cup by male or female, they're going to have to play either Germany or France in the round of 16. And for Brazil, that's probably the end of their tournament. I'm not saying an upset couldn't happen, but certainly... It, it doesn't look that promising for the Brazilians and having to play France or having to play Germany is certainly not what they were hoping would come out of the group. Cameroon, just like with South Africa, I mean, they were just, you know, not in the same class as these other three teams. On to Group D. This one, match day three takes place today. England beat Argentina in match day two, one nothing. Japan beat Scotland 2-1, which pretty much eliminates the Scots from a round of 16 berth. England and Japan play each other today in what will be a fight for first place in this group. Argentina, meanwhile, a win could get them into the round of 16. A loss or a tie would probably eliminate them. So, a lot to play for. In Group D right now, England have been probably the most impressive team in this group so far, but Japan certainly have the quality to win any game against any opponent because they have a very good team. And I think for Japan, Iwabuchi being hurting the first game really hurt them because she, I thought, was so critical in their win against Scotland in comparison to the draw they had with Argentina. On to Group E, Canada won 2-0 against New Zealand. Despite Canada playing one of the most boring games in the tournament against Cameroon, they were actually a lot more exciting and a lot more... Fl- they were a lot more entertaining to watch in this one against New Zealand. Rightfully won 2-0. Canada's defense continues to be exceptional. They might have the best defense in this tournament. And, of course, the, the big concern is goal scoring. But you know what? They proved they got some of that in their team. I still have a little bit of concerns with the creativity in midfield, but you know what? Canada showed a lot to me against the New Zealand team that was clearly going to park the bus, and so I give them a lot of credit for that. Netherlands beat Cameroon 3-1 to in the in the second match day. My apologies. And so Canada will play the Netherlands for first place. New Zealand and Cameroon technically are still alive, but one of them would have to win on the final match day in order to try and get one of the third place spots. And then finally on to Group F, the United States beat Chile 3-0 despite Christian Endler putting in, in putting in a historically good performance. Like, Endler, I know people were saying on social media she might be the best goalkeeper in the world. She's playing like it right now. If it weren't for Endler in the Chilean goal, I mean, Chile would have been Thailand in that game. They would have lost, like, by a ridiculously high margin. But... Endler made some spectacular saves in this game. I almost kind of wish we could, you know, 
if Endler could play goalkeeper for the Chilean men's team. No disrespect to any of the goalkeepers on that team, but she is just tremendous in goal. I mean, the U.S. were clearly a better team. Of course they were going to win. I mean, the United States, one of the favorites, Chile, first-time tournament, debutants, but <clears throat> Endler is spectacular, and I'm really glad Chile at least have a tremendous world-class goalkeeper. Sweden beat Thailand 5-1. I don't think that was that surprising, but Thailand scored a goal, and you know what? For them, that's a win. They scored a goal. That's a win in itself. So, Group F, Sweden and the U.S. will play each other for first. Chile and Thailand... Well, actually, Thailand's goal difference probably pretty much eliminates them. Chile could still get in, but they probably need a convincing win over Thailand in order to get into the knockout stages. That's it. That's all I got. Women's World Cup. Almost done the group stages, and then we'll be on to the round of 16. And in a couple weeks' time, we will have a Women's World Cup champion. So, a lot to be excited about for sure. Coming up in my last segment, Copa America recap, match day one, as well as match day two for group A, which is Brazil's group. For right now, just the one song in my music break, Alice Cooper and School's Out. You're listening to CMRU.ca, by students, for you.
Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I'm into my final segment of the day. I actually have a little bit of news that broke during my show. So I'm going to talk about that for briefly one minute and then I'll get to the Copa America. And that is Yessi Puyarvi. This is from Darren Drager of TSN. Apparently has told the Edmonton Oilers that he wants to be traded. <laughs> That's my breaking news of the day. Uh, I'm not that surprised. I'm, I'd be happy to see Puyarvi get out of there and get to a better situation. Because he, he was a really promising young Finnish player. And watching him at the World Juniors, he was really good. And so I hope he gets the new home that he probably deserves. Because Edmonton have had a terrible history of developing players over the last several years. Anyway, on to the Copa America. Match day one. Brazil ended up beating Bolivia in the opening match. Not really to anybody's surprise, that is. Bolivia, probably the worst team in South America right now. Brazil, despite not having Neymar, I think were just fine in this match. Coutinho ended up with a brace for them, one of them being a penalty kick. And yeah, not not a whole lot more to say than that. Brazil was just a better team. Venezuela then took on Peru. That game ended 0-0, despite Peru scoring two goals, but they were both disallowed due to offside and video system referee. And I I just think, I don't know, I feel like it was a missed opportunity for both sides to really put themselves in a really good position in this group in the 0-0 tie. But that's how it falls sometimes. I thought Peru were the better side in this team, in this game, my apologies. But... Venezuela certainly held their own for the most part. In Group B, Argentina took on Colombia in match day number one. Colombia won this game 2-0 thanks to the exquisite play of James Rodriguez, who produced a literal moment of genius when he put in just a perfect ball from right to the left to switch it onto Roger Martinez, and he ended up shooting he ended up curling one into the corner a brilliant finish and it was Zapata who sealed the deal with the second goal Argentina were really close to scoring in this game Messi had a header from point blank that he missed David Ospina was brilliant for Colombia in goal and in the end not a great start for Argentina but certainly not one that is a death sentence by any means but one that you know there are concerns with his Argentina team and there's a reason why there's a reason why I picked them to lose in the quarterfinals. Like, there, I think there's just so many uncertainties with this Argentina side. There really is, despite the quality in their individual players. One of the big surprises of the Copa America so far, Paraguay and Qatar tied each other 2-2. Two two. Qatar, Qatar were down 2-0 in this game and ended up coming back with two goals, one of them being an own goal. And in the end... For Paraguay, it's a massive missed opportunity. Qatar was the team that you had to beat, and now they have to play Argentina in a game that... I'm not saying they can't win, but it's certainly one that will not be easy for them. Not by any stretch. I think this was a big missed opportunity for Paraguay. On to Group C, there was two 4-0 blowouts in this one. Uruguay ended up just completely wiping the floor with Ecuador. Jose Quinteros ended up with a red card for Ecuador in the 24th minute, and it really just did not get better for them. For Uruguay, it was all hands on deck as far as goal scoring is concerned. Nicolas Lodeiro scored in the 6th minute, and Enzo Cavani got on the scoreboard, Luis Suarez on the scoreboard, and then they got an own goal late. But for Uruguay, I mean... They had seven shots on target, 16 total in the game. Ecuador had two shots, one on target in this game. Like, clearly, it was pretty obvious Uruguay were the class. They, they, they were the superior side in this match. And for Ecuador, when they went down to 10 men, there was no chance. For Chile, it was the team coming together and playing like they are the defending champions, despite the horrible seasons that a lot of them have had. And Eduardo Vargas got on the scoreboard twice. Bulgar opened the scoring for them. And Alexis Sanchez scored, which was so nice to see. After the horrible season he's had at Manchester United, to see Sanchez on the board 
Very nice to see. Group A, match day two, Peru beat Bolivia 3-1. Despite being de- conceding the first goal, they came back and won 3-1, putting themselves in a position where they could win the group because Brazil tied Venezuela 0-0. So Peru and Brazil will play for first place in Group A. Venezuela, meanwhile, will play Bolivia with third place still very much alive for them and a spot in the quarterfinals. That's pretty much it. That's all I got to say about the Copa America. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And remember to tune in all summer long to Moments of Genius and to all the other great shows that go on here on cmru.ca. All kinds of variety for, you know, whatever your interests are. We have it on this station this summer. Just be sure to go to the website and check the program schedule. My last song of the day, Van Halen and Jump. Jump.